You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Hi, good morning, guys. My name is Todd. I have the privilege of serving Anthem on the teaching team here. I'm an elder at the church. Um, make my living adjusting insurance claims at shelter. So that's what I do Monday through Friday. So if you hit a deer, I'm the guy that you talk to. Um, Fun weekend, Father's Day. I'm a father of six, so it's a fun uh, day to get a bunch of presents. (laughs) Um, And uh, they're all under 10, so they're the kind of presents that people under 10 can make, (laughs) usually. So I'm looking forward to opening those later. Um, In light of the weekend, um, and in light of even what Stan said, like Ecclesiastes 7, too, you know, it's, it's better to attend funerals than festivals, for that's the end of all of us, and the living will lay it to heart. Um, yesterday, uh, Saturday morning, I took my kids, I don't know if you're aware of this, there's a little cemetery just right down the road, uh, this frontage road here past Waffle House, it's this old cemetery, and so I took the kids there um, just for some perspective, just to be like, hey, look, these people, uh, all these people used to be alive, and that, that's the end of all of us. And, uh, and we went around and looked at them. We saw one tombstone that said they were born in 1700. Like, that's pretty cool. Like, I don't know, I don't, maybe that's not cool to you, but to me, like, that, it makes me feel small in the good way. Like, I feel like, man, that's, that's 318 years ago. They were born. And then they had a whole life that they lived, and then they died. <clears throat> and, uh, and so I pointed my kids' attention to those dashes, you know? It's like there's, every tombstone has two dates. One where you start, dash, when they ended. And your life is that dash. And, what, what, and, the, and it just my heart was, as I looked at these tombstones, I'm like, I wonder what they did with their dash. What did that look like? What, what successes did they have? What failures did they, did they run into? What tragedies were part of their life? What joys? What, what was that dash? And that's all of us. That is our life, is that dash. And we're all given a dash. And what we do with it is our life. And this morning, Psalm 127 wants to point us to this idea of legacy, Legacy, like, and we all want to leave a good legacy, right? We all want to leave a legacy. The good news is we are. Everyone leaves a legacy. The question isn't if you will leave a legacy. The question is what kind of legacy will you leave? What kind? Today is Father's Day, and so that's maybe a mixed bag for some people, right? (laughs) You're like, all of our fathers left us a legacy of one kind or another. All of our dads did. And some of you might be like, well, my dad wasn't even around, And I bet that left an impact. Everyone leaves a legacy. The question is, what kind of legacy are we going to leave? And and the psalm today wants to give us some wisdom on the front end on how to go about making sure that we leave the kind of legacy that God wants us to leave. And then it's going to give us some application for us how to do that. So if you have your Bibles open to Psalm 127, we'll start there. And here's the big idea for this morning, really. It's pretty simple. We will leave behind what we live for. We will leave behind someday what we are living for right now. You can't leave behind someday what you're not doing now. You can hope for a legacy. I want people to remember I'm generous. But you might want to start giving stuff away. (laughs) You might not be remembered that way. I want to be remembered as kind and benevolent and hospitable. Might want to start having some people over. (laughs) Not going to be remembered that way if you don't. You will leave behind something. And it is what you're living for right now. That dash is defining what your legacy will be someday when people look at your tombstone, when people look down the corridor of time. What did you pass on is what you are living for right now. And so let's, let's look. We're going to kind of 
march through this because this is a psalm. It's a song written by Solomon, uh, who is a wise guy who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, the verse we opened up with. And so this is a song that he wrote. He wasn't just a, a guy who liked to say smart things. He apparently liked to set them to music. And so uh, every once in a while that helps you remember things. So uh, just, we'll just look at the first part of verse 1. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So here's the first thing he wants to, wants to communicate to you. Your legacy is like a house. It needs a foundation. Your legacy is like a house. It needs a foundation. So when we look at houses, we don't think about foundations. When you go on Zillow, you don't put in, the first criteria I want to know is what kind of foundation it has. <laughs> That's not what you put in there. You put in number of bedrooms, number of bathrooms, square footage, uh, what kind of flooring it has, fenced yard, school district, all those things, right? And when you go and look at houses, that's what you're interested in. And then, you know, for some reason, people like always like on those shows, they're always like upset about the, the wall color. They're like, well, I don't like the wall color. It's like, that's the first thing you're going to paint. Like, that's not a reason not to buy a house. <laughs> that's the easiest thing to fix. I don't know. Um, but we look at all that stuff until you want to buy the house. When you're just looking, all that stuff is what's most interesting to you. But once you put in an offer, the first thing you do is not call an interior decorator. The first thing you do is you call an inspector. You call somebody because I want to know what kind of house am I getting? Because on House Hunters, nobody says on top on Tom's list is doesn't fall over. <laughs> That's kind of assumed, right? You don't want your house to fall over. But once you're buying it, you kind of want to know, is this thing going to, it's pretty, but is it going to stay standing up? Because that's important to me now. So the more bought in you are to the house, the more you care about what's holding the whole thing together. Your legacy is like that. The more seriously you take your life and that dash, the more the question of what is this whole thing grounded in actually matters to you. If you're just kind of looking around and playing at life, what you're doing this weekend and what you're going to eat and where you're going to wear and all that stuff is all fine and good. Because, I mean, you're just looking. You're just window shopping at life. But the second you take your life seriously, like what could my life do for a community? What could my life do for the world, for Jesus' glory? What could my life accomplish? What difference can I make? Isn't that the question now other young people are asking? I want to make a difference. I just want a job that makes a difference. Once we, once we consider what kind of difference our life could really make and take it seriously, now all of a sudden the foundation matters. What's this whole thing going to be built on? Not just all the, not just the earrings of life. But like, like my wife always like, says like that's the last thing, but it pulls it all together as earrings. But it's accessories. What's the foundation What's the basis of all of it? And your legacy is like that. The more seriously you take your life, the more the foundation begins to concern you. So if you're not really all that worried about foundations this morning, my, my plea to you, take your life more seriously. You have one dash to work with. Be more serious about your life. Don't just waste it on little things and running from here to there and doing stuff. It will be gone, and there'll be another date on there, and then all that will be left is this dash, and you will have spent it on whatever. I have a verse that kind of punctuates this point here. Romans 14, 7 through 8. have it on a slide for you. All the verses outside the text will be up on the screen, so you can just keep your finger in Psalm 127. Look what it says here, though, what Paul, the Apostle Paul says. None of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. You belong to someone that dash is not just your dash. If you are a Christian, your life is owned by God. Take your life more seriously. Think about the impact your life could actually make. 
both now and downstream. Now, and legacy takes you out of kind of the, the, you know, the, the short-sightedness of just like, what am I going to do this weekend? It takes into account, what are my grandchildren going to say about me? Have you had that thought? Maybe if you're older, maybe you have grandchildren, so you start to wonder, I wonder what they do actually think about me. But then for you, the question is like, what are your great-grandchildren going to say about you? I can't even name my great-great-grandfather. I don't know his name. And that's probably, that's probably mostly my fault. <laughs> but I'm guessing if he had made a profound impact on something, I might know his name. Now, all of us are going to probably be lost to the corridors of time in some regard, but you pass it on to the next person, and what's important is that it's moving along. It's the baton is going forward, and the legacy you're leaving is, is doing something, and we all live and die to something. We're all living for something. We're all dying for something. That's what the passage just said. All of us are doing it. The dash defines what that was. What you lived for, what you died for, is contained in just that. Every tombstone has one, and it's the smallest little piece on there. But think about what that represents. That little dash is your whole life, everything you ever did. May it be for God's glory. Look at the second part of verse 1, because he wants to give us another principle for considering our legacy here. He says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So here's the second thing. Your legacy is like a city at night. So it's like a house needs a foundation. It's like a city at night. It needs protection. Your legacy has, it's vulnerable in some regard. It can be, it's not just fixed. As long as you're alive, it's kind of like to be determined, right? And we all know people who went strong and then did something right at the end, and now that's their legacy. Their legacy is that last dumb thing they did. And we're kind of vulnerable in that regard, and so we need protection, and your legacy is like that. It's like a city at night. It needs a watchman, because in order for a city to be safe, somebody has to watch over it. Somebody needs to be on guard, paying attention. And they need to be paying attention because you need to control what gets in and what gets out. Right? Your legacy, the city is like that. It needs, certain people need to get in, commerce, merchants, people from foreign cities that want to do stuff. And then there's some things you don't want to get out, like prisoners and things like that. You know, you want to keep certain things in. And then maybe even like valuable good things that you want to make sure don't just like leak out of your city, like water supply or things like that. Or, or you want to keep things contained and there's some things you want to make sure that get in. And there's some things you want to make sure don't get in, like enemies. And there are certain things you don't want to get out, like prisoners. Your legacy is like that, Right? There are certain things that you want to invite into your life. There are certain people, certain counsel, certain wisdom, certain principles you should be on guard and inviting into your city. And there are some things that you shouldn't want to get out, or maybe not even should want to get out. Maybe there are things that you don't want to get out, and maybe they should. Maybe there are secrets that are contained in your city, and you have a watchman set up because my legacy is vulnerable, and if people knew I did that, what, what might they think? There are things in my city I don't want to get out. Your legacy is like a city at night. It needs somebody on guard to protect what people remember you by. But my question to you is, is how are you going to do that? How are you going to protect your legacy? Is it going to be you setting up what, what truth gets out? Are you going to control the narrative so that people think a certain thing about you, even if it's true or not, but at least your legacy is protected? Look at a verse here I have for you. It's 1 John 1, 8 through 10. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. What's going to protect your legacy? Your lies or God's truth? You can lie about what's true and try and keep stuff from getting out. You can set up really good watchmen. 
that are really on guard and always watch what they say and always watch what they do and make sure that so-and-so doesn't know the whole thing because if everybody knew, they'd all piece it together so I can make sure that only people know different parts of the story. Or you can rest in God's truth, live in the light, and be free. It's all out there. Everybody knows. There's nothing, there's nothing that people are going to find out at your funeral as once, once people start talking, start connecting dots. Because it's all out there already. I've already confessed it. I came through the front door. I told you my sins. I told you because either... My lies are going to protect me, or God's truth is. And the Bible wants you to live in the light of God's truth and say, you know what, this is true about me, but I have faith in God that because I confess that, I agree with him that I'm wrong, that I am forgiven. And though that may affect the way you feel about me, the one thing you will know about me is that I trusted in God to protect me, not my lies. I, I put all my faith in believing that his blood actually atones for my sins. And I show that by putting them all out there. They're all out there. And he's the one that I trust to protect me. He's protecting my legacy. Verse 2. He's got one more principle he wants to share with us before he moves on to a certain part of application. So he says uh, in verse 2, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So here's the third thing. Your legacy was like a house, it was like a city at night, and now it's like a really busy week, right? Like your life, your legacy is like a really busy week. It's going to need priorities. It's going to need prioritization because you can't get everything done. There's just not enough time. That dash may be different for certain people, but every day of their life was 24 hours, just like the rest of us. You say, like, some people got a lot of stuff done. Well, they, they had the same amount of time. They had the same hours of the day that you have. They're just better <laughs> than you are. Let's just face it. They're better people. They're, they've prioritized their life better. They're getting more done because they want to. They, ha- they don't have more time available to them than you. They've made time for the things that are important to them. They've prioritized, how am I going to spend my life? What's that dash going to be used for? Don't just let it happen to you because you can do nothing, and all of a sudden that end date will be on there, and the dash will be there, and you'll be like, I had, it just happened to me. Life just happened. It got away from me. And all of a sudden I was dead. And the next, but, or you can own it. And you can choose how you're going to spend your life and choose your priorities. Because look what the passage says. You can put in extra hours at work. You can stay up late, burn in the midnight oil. You can get up early, listen to the cock crow. <laughs> you, can, you, can, uh, uh, you can multitask as best as you want. You can eat on the go. You know, like eating the bread of anxious toil. I think that's just like, I think I looked in the Hebrew, that's just like drive through dollar menu in Hebrew. <laughs> that is the bread of anxious toil. <laughs> it's a dollar burger. It's like, I get, I, who has time to make food? I just got to go, 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 go. <laughs> you can do all that, but you'll never get it all done. Can you just resolve yourself to that this morning? I'll nod with you, like with me. Like, you won't get it all done. There will always be more opportunities than there is time to do it. So choose your opportunities. And that's going to require you to say no. You're going to have to say no to some stuff in order to say yes to some other things. Um, because at some point, your life has to either be, be driven by importance or urgency. Because urgency is happy to take over. and Just live your life putting out fires. Or you can do what's important to you and let some things burn. <laughs> because you've got to get to the important things. That thing can wait. And your legacy is like that. Your legacy is like that. It's like that dash. How are you going to spend your life and prioritize it? Because you have to say no to something in order to say yes. And I've said this before, and you'll hear me say it a million times because it's so true, and we have to be reminded of it. Every yes is a no. Because like, some of you people are like, I just don't like saying no to people. Every time you say yes to another thing, you've just said no a little bit to everything. 
Does that make sense? Like every time, well, I, this person wants to meet with me. I don't want to disappoint them, so yes. This person wants to do this, so yes. This person wants to do this, so yes. You've said no a little bit to everybody now, right? Because nobody's getting quality anymore at best. And even still, there's going to be more people who asked than you could say yes to because at some point you just can't do everything. Every yes is a no. So just resolve yourself to the fact that you're going to have to say no to some people. But I don't like letting people down. You're going to have to. Or you're going to let everybody down a little bit. <laughs> that's, what, that's the reality of what's going to happen. Because every yes is a no, but every no is a yes. Every no you say is like, someone wants to meet with me. No, I'm having a date night with my wife. Somebody, I'm saying yes to something, and in order to show how much I care about the yeses in my life, I'm going to say no to some other things. Look at a verse here from Ecclesiastes, and some more wisdom from Solomon, verse, chapter 5, verse 5. He says, it is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. It's better to say no than to say yes and not do it. Hear the Bible. This is, this is like, oh, that's not that interesting, Todd. That's obvious. Yeah, well, then start doing it. <laughs> like, you say yes to all kinds of stuff you can't pull off. Because you, or or you, you have the best intentions, and then your schedule floods, and you never get around to it. If you say yes, then make it yes. Like Jesus said it this way in the New Testament. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more comes from sin. Don't say yes to try and make it. I, don't want, you to, I want you to think I'm the kind of person who says yes to stuff. <laughs> So that's why I'm saying yes. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> who has the time? But at least you, okay, at the end of the week, I can be like, I tried, I'm sorry, but I'm still the kind of person who says yes to things. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you say yes, resolve yourself to do it. Start by only saying yes to things you actually plan on doing and then commit yourself to doing them because they're your priorities. They reflect what you actually want to do with your life because you can't say yes to everything. And I think the reason we do that is because we want Finally, to either get to the end of that checklist, we're like, ch -ch -ch. oh, bubble bath time. <laughs> I did it all. Or we just want peace and quiet for once. Can you all stop asking me for stuff? <laughs> I'll just say yes until you guys all just are quiet and I have a moment of peace and quiet. And, and we think that by saying yes to everything, we'll finally get there. How's that working out for you? You feel rested? <laughs> Anybody not busy? Oh, I had a busy week. We all had busy weeks. That's, all, that's what we do. <laughs> that's what, that's, who doesn't have a busy week? You ask somebody, how was your week? Oh, I was really lazy. I just sat around and watched daytime television. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's your life, but even if it is, you probably think you're busy. <laughs> I got to watch my stories. <laughs> like, you think you're busy. <laughs> but listen, look at the passage. The thing that we want, the thing that we work so hard by saying yes to is in, is in verse 2. He gives his beloved sleep. He gives you rest. By finally just being okay with who God made you and being okay with your no's. You're not going to rest well at night until you get okay with saying no to some things. Because there will always be a box open in your head. And more yeses you could say and more yeses you left undone. That's going to be your life if you don't start saying no to things. But if you start saying no, look at the promise. He gives his beloved sleep. The very thing you want by saying yes to everything will never come by doing that. It's in vain. You can't pull it off. But he can. And do you have a faith enough to believe that? Do you have faith enough to believe that God can accomplish more in eight hours of you asleep than you can 16 hours awake? Do you believe that? That God can do more with eight hours of you sleeping than 16 hours of you scrambling around like a chicken with his head cut off? He can. And he wants to give you that kind of rest where you lay your head on the pillow at night being like, I put in a good day's work. I did what was important to me, what God called me to do. I said no to some stuff, but I'm okay with my nose. I'm time for sleep. 
That can be your life if you embrace this pattern. This can be your legacy, a person who did what was important to them, not just somebody who got spread thin because they couldn't say no to anything. Because remember the big idea, we will leave behind what we are living for right now. You can want and wish all day for what you want your legacy to be, what you want your kids to remember you by, but what you're doing right now is the best indication of what they will think of you then at that funeral, when, doing, when they stand up to eulogize you. What you're doing right now are the kind of things that are going to be on their mind. So he kind of turns the corner now, like most of these psalms do. They take like a weird left, you know, where you're like, oh, that all makes sense to me. And so kids. <laughs> but, I mean, in some ways it makes some sense, right? I mean, like, if, you're, if you put a lot of thought into your legacy, what I want to do with my life, you take your life seriously, you, you set your priorities, you are on guard and trusting God to guard you, the natural thing is, like, I want to share that with people. I want to spread my influence. I want to, if, if you're excited about your life, you want other people to get in on it. Like, you want to share with the good thing that you found. And we all do that, you know, with movies or places you go to eat and stuff. Like, you become evangelists for them, and you just want everybody to enjoy the food with you because you want to see their face, you know, light up the way that yours did the first time you tried, you know, mango habanero or whatever. And you're like, oh, this is crazy. You have to try it. We all do that. So the psalm turns to that. You like your life? You should want to. You should like your life. You should be excited about what God's called to you. You should be excited about your legacy, and that should naturally lead you to want to include other people in on it. So I'm just going to read the last uh, verses 3 through 5 here. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So like, when we see, when I have six kids, right? I said that, and I saw some people's eyes. <laughs> like, it was immediate, like, empathy. Don't feel bad for me. It's great. <laughs> like, I like it. I, I, I'm glad I have them. It wasn't an accident. <laughs> um, but, when we, but when we see people in public with big kids, with lots of family, big families, isn't that what we think? We either think, that person's stupid. Like, they don't know what causes this. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's what you think. <laughs> or you think, boy, those people are super religious. I bet they know how to make a cabinet. <laughs> right? Like when people see my family like out and about, they were like, they let Amish people wear denim? <laughs> like we're not Amish. We just have lots of kids. But it's weird anymore for people to like big families. So like we immediately assume like, well, it's either because this is clearly an accident. Who would want six kids? That's crazy. Or we're like, oh, they're super religious and they're like pastor and won't let them not have kids. So that makes sense. That's what we assume. But, I mean, you, you can laugh all you want, but that's what you think. Or that's what you've been trained to think. And that's what, like, we largely have, like, we kind of don't like big families. We're like, why are there so many of you? Don't, ah. <laughs> you know, like, they, it makes people uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to get no, they're going to probably hand me a track or something. And I don't want to talk about Jesus right now. I just want to buy my mac and cheese and go home. And uh, that's what, like, we think happens. But listen to me. If you want to leave a legacy, and this ties well into the mission of our church, you need to make disciples. That's how legacies work. You want, to make, you want to pass something on, you need to make disciples. You need to make them. And like some people like me make them the old-fashioned way. <laughs> like I, just, I have six disciples. I don't know how many of you made. <laughs> but I have at least six to my credit. <laughs> and that's not it. I didn't just end there. But they are top priority. They're my first. They're my inner circle of disciples the same way that Jesus had his three. I have my six and uh, would love to grow that number someday. I like being a dad. I actually like having kids. So if we had more, you wouldn't be like, oh man, your life's about to get really hard. It's like about to get hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know like, at what point exponentially it actually gets harder, but um, like six is already hard. But 
but it's good work and it's worthwhile doing. So look what the passage says. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Another way of saying that is children are a blessing, right? And I think we know that enough. And if somebody said it, we wouldn't disagree. But I think like we see six kids at Aldi and we're like, are they a blessing though? Because they seem crazy. They seem like a lot of work. And we mainly see the work side of it. We don't see blessing. We're like, look at that, six kids. How blessed is that family? We're like, six kids. Either there must be some strict religious thing that won't let them just do what they really want to do, which is have less kids, or they're idiots, and that's why they have so many kids. That's what we think. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says children are a blessing, and I shouldn't have to be standing in Aldi defending my kids' right to exist to some stranger who doesn't like the fact that I have six kids. I was like, oh, so which one do you wish wasn't here right now? This one, the little one, the cute one? Or the, the older one that's going to go through the awkward stage, that one maybe. Like, which one do you wish wasn't alive? Because that's, that's the only way we solve this problem that you don't like. They're already here. I like them. I don't even need you to like them. I don't understand what your deal is. <laughs> like, I like them just fine. And, and if anything, the Bible would say, why aren't you more excited about kids? Can, I, can, I, can we just, like, reset and everybody say it with me? I say children are a blessing. Ready? We can just say it together. It'll be good. It'll, it'll be good for your soul. Ready? Children are a blessing, period. They are, no qualification. They are a blessing. They're not just that. I know, I've been pooped on many times. <laughs> I get it. But they are a blessing, first and foremost. Are, not can be, sometimes are, sometimes they, you know, like I feel like to think they're teaching me. Like, not all, they are a blessing. That's who they are. That's what God made them to be. And we make disciples so you can have children because you want to pass on the legacy you are excited about. Like, my kids have my last name. They are forever associated with me. And that excites me because I like what my life is about. I like what God's doing with my life. I'm not perfect. My kids will be the first ones to tell you that. But I'm living with God on my guard, and I'm confessing my sins, and I'm trying to pass on to them. You know what I'm excited about is the fact that Jesus forgives sinners like Daddy. And he can forgive sinners like you. And I want them to pass that legacy on. I want that to be the thing that they're most excited about. But blessings, most often, if you've noticed in life, blessings usually start off as responsibilities. Like, they don't just come through the front door like, da-da-da, ticker tape parade. A lot of times, there are things later, the, thing, the things you feel most blessed by or the things you look back on are like, that was a lot of work, but man, was it worth it, right? Blessings usually begin as responsibilities. And so we talk about how hard kids and ma even making disciples are, like how difficult that can be sometimes. And it made me think, and it's a dad joke, it's Father's Day, forgive me. But what, <laughs> speaking of like how hard raising kids is, what's brown and sticky? A stick. <laughs> That's right, not the thing you thought it was. We're talking about kids and diapers. That's also brown and sticky. <laughs> but what's brown and sticky? A stick. And you know what the verses say? Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are what children are. Arrows don't start off that way. Did you know that? They don't start off smooth and pointy. They're usually bumpy and barky and crooked and all kinds of things. And so when you see a pile of sticks at Aldi, I see future arrows. I see arrows in the hand of a warrior that God wants to use to pierce through the darkness and change a world. And it might only be six people, and that might be the extent of my legacy, but it's six people, and I've just multiplied my influence in this world. When you see people, when you see opportunities to disciple people, when you think about kids, do you just think about a pile of sticks? Ugh. Remember, like, you're a kid, and for some reason your dad wants to, you to move a pile of sticks? You know, like, it's like the most, like, meaningless labor in the world. Like, I just want you to move these sticks. 
That's how we kind of sometimes as a culture and, and as even as a church can think about kids. Just a bunch of sticks upstairs that somebody has to watch. Ugh. If it weren't for them, we wouldn't have to volunteer. Wouldn't it be better for church if there weren't all these kids? They interrupt. They make noises. I, have to, I miss half the sermon. Oh, isn't that annoying? Yeah, they, 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 they take some work to turn a stick into an arrow. But are you committed to arrows? Are you committed to the hard work and responsibility of making disciples in your community, in your family, under your roof? Because that's what's at stake. That's the legacy, leaving arrows that God will use to shoot through the darkness for his glory. And I think in order to do that, it's going to require an attitude change. And this is a discipline I've been trying to work on, and I've been tried, and on my best moments, I verbally do it out loud. And so this is how it looks. I look at my kids, and they spill milk on the rug. That's less than ideal. I don't like that. I, you know, they say don't cry over spilled milk. That's like the only thing I ever do. <laughs> Most of my day is crying over spilled milk because that's, yeah, anyways, <laughs> that's what life is. But I made the discipline of being like, you know what? I would rather have milk on my rug that you spilled than to have a clean rug without you. You're worth it. You're worth every, every ounce of effort it takes me to scrub that rotten milk smell out of a rug, which is like, you might be like, why do you have a rug under your you know, dining table? Yeah, well, anyways, <laughs> that could maybe solve some of that, but anyways, but it's, it's, it's a discipline. It's like, I would, I would rather have pictures of you in my backyard than my boring backyard than have a bunch of selfies of me by myself in famous places. I'd choose you every day. I'd rather have pictures of you running up the slide, playing in the dirt, I'd rather have those photos than a bunch of pictures of me, like, look, the pyramids, look, the Eiffel Tower, all by myself. Is your life oriented around a bunch of selfies and neat places? You got that wanderlust to want to go see some stuff? I'd choose that over raising kids in my backyard any day. The Bible would challenge that perspective. And also, like, you know, you have to, it's the discipline of being like, I would rather spend my night serving you, serving you guys, than be by myself watching another season of Netflix of some show. Like, would you choose that, though? Would you? Because a lot of us choose the Netflix thing. We're like, kids sound hard. I got four seasons of some show to plow through. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, I still have to go to work, so I better stay up all night. It's going to change. We're going to need an attitude change. We're going to need to embrace kids and disciples. If you don't have children, think in terms of disciples. Like, they are your legacy. Who are you shaping? Who, who are you trying to help become more pointy, more uh, smooth for, the, for God's glory? And uh, the more we think about and love our legacy, the more we want to pass it on because we will leave behind what we are living for. And uh, the, the question is really what kind of legacy is going to be left, not if, but, but what kind and to whom. All right, one last verse I want you guys to look at here from the Ecclesiastes is uh, chapter 4, verse 8 captures the essence of what Solomon's getting at here. And again, this is Ecclesiastes, so Solomon is the same author of this. Look, he says, There was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches. And he never asked, And for whom am I laboring? For some of you, that, like, that's, you're working so hard, and, like, and this guy's like, he's got money, he just wants more money and more money, and he's working, 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 but he doesn't have a kid he doesn't have a brother. He's not making disciples. He's not meeting with anybody for coffee. He's just off on his little island, making a bunch of money, doing his own thing. And he never asks, why am I doing all this? I'm going to die. And it's just going to be, like, who's even going to get this? Who's going to benefit from all my hard work? Is your perspective one of legacy? 
Not just thinking about what you can get out of this life, but what can I pass on to other people? Is that your perspective? Because you don't take your life seriously enough if that's not how you think of it. You don't take your life seriously enough. You could pass on amazing things and the world could be influenced and Jesus' glory could be magnified and disciples could be made. We're not just talking about kids and your neighbors. We're talking about generations and nations could be affected by your little life. If you just took it more seriously, rooted it in the foundation of Jesus, guarded it by faith in him, prioritized things that he would have you prioritize and look to spread that influence as much as you possibly can and that can be your dash. He lived for Jesus and tried to get as many people excited about it as he possibly could, as she could. So are you living for a good legacy or are you living for a good time? Just trying to get out of life? That's a selfish way of seeing life. Or are you generous? Are you looking for a good legacy? Legacy requires you to want to give, to share. If you want to live for a good time, it's all about soaking it up now because you got one dash to live. Might as well get as much good out of this as I can because this is all I got. Let me leave you with a a uh, poem that I found by a guy named C.T. Studd. Mike and Linda Cox will know the name. And uh, uh, he, we were just talking about C.T. Studd the other day. And what an awesome name for a Christian, C.T. Studd. Like, holy cow, somebody name their boy Studd, please. <laughs> S-T-U-D-D. Oh, my name is Todd, T-O-D-D. Maybe I should name a kid like Stud Van Voorst. Holy cow, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, stuff like that like, makes my heart leap for joy. But the, the poem is longer than I'm going to read. I, I, I took certain excerpts of it, but... Listen to this. Let me leave you with this sentiment. Two, two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its days I must fulfill, living for self, or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, "Tis worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. At Anthem Church, we respond to the hearing of God's word by taking communion. We receive what he has done for us, the legacy that the man, Jesus Christ, lived his life, not thinking about what he could soak up out of this life, but what he could do for future generations so that people 2,000 years removed from when he walked and got his feet dusty can praise God in full assurance of salvation because of what he did with his life, how he died, his death, his dash, that all of a sudden that date they had to scribble that thing out right? They're like, Jesus, born, died. Whoops. Maybe not. <laughs> but that dash, think about what he did with his legacy, what that does for us. We're here on a Sunday morning because of what Jesus did with his life. One last verse I want you to see as we meditate on this, and you seek to apply this as you leave this place today. 1 Corinthians 3, 10, verse, uh, 10 through 11. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Let each one take care how he builds on it. There is no other foundation that will hold, only Jesus. What are you going to build? That thing will hold you. What are you going to do? What are you going to build on it? What's your legacy going to be? How are you going to live your life? Jesus is the only foundation, the building to be determined.
What's that legacy going to look like? Join me in prayer, guys. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, the clarity it provides, the, the challenge to perspective that it brings, that um, there's a way that seems right to a man and its end is death, but there's wisdom found in listening to you and opening your word and saying, what should I be doing with my life? And I thank you for the perspective. I, I, we're more than happy not to think about the dash because it's, it's kind of depressing. And uh, graveyards aren't exactly, you know, uh, a top priority of places to, to put on your to-visit to list. My bucket list is not to visit a bunch of cemeteries. We'd rather not think about it. But I thank you for mornings like today where the passages lead us to think about what will we do with our life. And that forces us to think about our death because that's the end of that dash. May we use that dash for your glory, founded in you alone, placing our faith in you to protect us, to let all the secrets out because they will come out. It says the watchman does it in vain. If we don't confess them, you still know, and we will have to deal with them. So let us do it openly in faith and confidence that you have forgiven us, that, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful to forgive those just like you say you will do, and we'll take you at your word. And may we prioritize our life, spending ourselves for the things you have called us to do, seeking to share and spread that influence to as many as who will listen. And they are a blessing. If you give us people who, we will, who will listen to us, if you give people who want to have coffee with us, if you give people that we could influence who are leaning in, may we take every advantage to, to spread that, to meet with them, to spend ourselves so that it can spend forward. Because what good is a clean baton pass if there's nobody there to take it? May we work hard to make sure that there's people following us in, your, in our train so that we can lead them to follow you as we have done. In your name we pray and amen.